Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with advocate, author, and speaker, Alicia Johnson-Niles. In all of her pursuits, she has a profound message of hope. From childhood, her entire life was affected by her father's murder while he was serving in the U.S. Navy. Deep-rooted grief and curiosity caused her to seek the truth behind the conspiracies aboard the USS Richard S. Edwards and her father's death. Suddenly, she felt an intense connection with her father on an almost daily basis. As she learned to act upon specific messages, miracles, answers, healing, and forgiveness, it flooded into her like a tidal wave. She's not only found peace for her own life, but also for over a dozen of her father's Navy friends who had still been suffering the ramifications of the shooting. Enjoy this interview. Well, it's great to meet you. Thank you for taking a minute out today. And I'd love to begin our conversation with, we're coming up on the four-year anniversary of the pandemic. How did you get through the pandemic and how did it change you? You ready for a story? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> so um, I actually got married and moved cross country. Um, so a little bit about me, um, as we get into my story a little bit more, I, I'm one of my main missions is to help people with complex PTSD um, because I grew up with it. And so really long story short, I mean, I got married older. Um, I My husband proposed to me on my 46th birthday, January 2020. And so, you know, <laughs> I was at the top of my game. I'd overcome a lot of anxieties. I was in a great place. And I'm from Utah originally. And all my life, they told me about when Utah gets an earthquake, it is going to destroy lives and blah, 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 blah. So, you know, we grew up kind of gripped in fear of, oh my goodness, it's not if, but when the big one hits, right? So we go on lockdown and I was fine with that. I'm like, you know, this is going to be fine you know, a little glitch in the wedding plans. And then the day after the lockdowns, Utah gets a 5.7 earthquake, the biggest earthquake I'd ever experienced in my life. Wow. And they're predicting another one. So anyway, um, it was crazy. So, um, and then I had a COVID wedding in August and jumped in the car and, you know, anywhere my husband and I went to like gas stations, we had our little masks on and yeah. So <laughs> wow, <laughs> I've ridden my life. But. Yeah. That's quite a story. So, Let's get to the heart and soul of what you do do for a living. I'm going to put you in front of a bunch of third graders at career day. And one of the mm -hmm. kids asks you, hey, what do you do for a living? How do you answer that child? I am a couple different things. I am an author and a speaker. Um, I'm a child advocate. And my day job, I'm an enrollment counselor to kind of help high school dropouts get into an online diploma program. So while I write oh. and work on my um, my passion, which is my advocacy, I work as an enrollment counselor. So. So what did you want to be when you were in the third grade? Uh, mom. Um, <laughs> then mom and a nurse. Um, yeah. So no mom, I'm not going to be a mom, but you know, not a nurse either. I don't like blood, but yeah, yeah right. that's kind of what I wanted to do. But actually in the third grade, um, I had an amazing teacher and she would have us write our letters and um, kind of that was our, our writing assignments. And that's where I learned how to write. So okay. kind All of right. set the stage. So. Yeah. What was the first book you read when you were a kid that you really loved? Which, well, my mom would always read us like, I remember the first non-picture book was, I think it was Ramona the Pest. So yeah. she'd read to us at night. And then my favorite childhood book was which of Blackbird Pond, which I still love. So, okay. so how did the, take me back to where you were born and raised and how your life got to a point where you're an advocate now. What was kind of the timeline and and what happened to get you to this point where you are trying to help others um well let's see um 
won't get into my parents' cute love story, but they're a very unlikely couple. Yeah. Um, my dad was from D.C. My mom was from Utah. Um, I was their firstborn. I was born in um, Walter Reed Hospital, actually, in oh. Bethesda, Maryland. And um, when I was six months old, my dad got stationed on his first ship, and that was in Hawaii. So we moved to Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, and um, my brother was born out there. My dad was murdered out there. We moved back to Utah to live with my parent or with my mom and her parents and everything. And, um, you know, my biggest thing, I, I didn't allow myself to grieve my dad's death until I was 30. Um, my mom was an open book. She's amazing. I mean, I've actually listened to your podcasts and you talk about heroes. My mom is my hero. Yeah. Like, she was a young widow. She got her life together. She always answered our questions about my dad. She was just, she's an angel. She's amazing. And, um, but she remarried when I was six. And so it's just interesting because it seems like society has some unwritten rules about children and grief. Like, you know, I was two when my dad was killed. My brother was eight months old when my dad was killed. Um, and they're like, oh, good. You're too young to remember. And I was. Like I spent my whole life going, oh my gosh, I am so glad that I I missed that pain that I missed. You know, I don't have any memories of my dad, and my voice is shaking. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> uh, yeah, but anyway, um, but I was just like, the crazy thing is, when I was in my mid thirties, I di I was diagnosed with P with CPTSD because I was afraid of everything. Like yeah. my mom would leave the house, I would be praying that she'd be safe. I like. You know, it's just interesting because you talk about COVID and what it's done to, like, teenagers with kids. I grew up afraid of everything because I was hyper aware of my mortality. I feel like COVID has done the same thing to a lot of our, our kids. And so um, I spent my life in a state of flight or flight, even though I have my mom, my stepdad's wonderful. I've got, you know, a big family. I've got five more brothers that are my best friends. But, like... You know, there was always this, I was tired of being afraid of everything. And also there's just like this hole. There was something that was missing. And um, I, it's so weird. There's, it could go so deep, but like, I feel like anxious people feel like they are almost second class people. Right. Like they're people pleasers. They're open to narcissists. I mean, it's, I don't want to be like, oh, woe is me, you know, but like there, as I've gotten older and I allowed myself to grieve my dad's death. And start investigating, like, what happens to children when they've gone through traumatic events. There are some very, very strong similarities. Yeah. And that's that's the biggest thing. Is like, it took me, well, there was a guy that I was interested in when I was 30. And um, he's just like, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> kind of thing. And why are, I got my bachelor's degree. Anyway, that's another long story. But, like, um, his mom had just died about two months earlier. And we we're talking like, oh, yeah, well, my dad died when I was young. But, you know, that's it's not the same. I'm so sorry. Your mom, you know, she died two months ago. And he's like, you have every right to be sad because you missed out on a lot. You have yeah. every right to miss your dad because you missed out on so much. Yeah. Oh, and that's so when I started. Do, do you ever feel like his presence is there or he's ever visited you? Any of that? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in a very strong Christian family. I still am. And um, it's really cool. Like, I had some very powerful spiritual experiences. Um, the first one was a dream that I had when I was a little kid. I think I was five. Yeah. And, um, like, 
I don't know, I didn't, one thing about my grief, like when my mom remarried, they took my dad's picture down, that picture. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so I immediately was like, okay, I can't talk about him. And then when I was 11, I started talking to my mom a little bit. You know, it was my stepdad was gone. My brothers, they were somewhere. And because I felt guilty, you know, I'm like, well, I don't have the right. But anyway, so I started talking to her and I tell her about this dream that I had. And I was wearing this purple and green dress that she had made for me when I was four. And my parents were singing this hymn and my brother were just walking home from church. That was it. And she's just like, you know, that was your dad's funeral hymn. And, you know, then she brings down to the purple and green dress and she's like, I don't know why I kept this. So, you know, there was that. And then I went back, he's buried in Arlington. And um, so I went back when I was 17 and I was still like, you know, this amazing man that I've heard stories about my whole life. Sure. But I still don't miss him. And I might get emotional, but as soon as I saw his name, excuse me, I'm sorry. Oh no, you're fine. You're fine. I get emotional at different times, but yeah. as soon as I saw his name, he's like, I've always been here. And I felt that connection. I just started sobbing and it's like, yeah. So there would be times when I'd hear that hymn or yeah. else I just had these little thoughts that I was just like. Yeah, You know, I'd tell my mom, I'd be like, you know, I had this thought and she's like, that's exactly the way your dad would have put it. So I am very much like, I'm not the person to say they are there, you know, believe in the afterlife, they are there. But I am one to say, if you think they're there, believe it. Yeah. Because I've had way too many uncanny experiences. So yeah, I, that's the first thing that popped into my head when you talked about your age is that there would be a visit and a, and a feeling. So um, I love it. So let me ask you this. If you can meet one person alive on the planet right now that you find fascinating or inspiring, who would that be? Who would you love to meet? Right now, because of where I'm at and like with what I'm wanting to do, which is bring awareness to childhood grief, um, Dylan McDermott, can I list three, Bono or Kelsey Grammer? Because they lost um, a parent when they were young. And there's, you know, they're bringing up a little bit more awareness, especially Dylan McDermott because he was told his mom's death was a suicide and it was homicide. And so he reopened the case, which is kind of what I did. Um, and cause yeah, my dad was murdered and also Kelsey Grammer, same thing. Wow. That's fascinating. So, yeah. yeah. So what is the motivation for you? I mean, ultimately at the end of the day, as a writer and as an advocate, when you get up every day, what is that motivation for you to not only do the work that you do, but to evolve as a person as well? What is that for you? Um, couple things is I believe in God and I believe that he has expectations for me and I've seen him make my life better than anything I could have imagined. This guy right here, <laughs> I know that, I mean, he's made it very clear that he wants me to help other people. And also I don't want people to go through what I did for so long. Yeah. Those are the three things is God, my dad, and I want other people to be happy faster. <laughs> so, so do you, it, it seems to me that there's a lot of people out there that have unresolved PTSD or trauma from their early part of their lives. And yeah. until they have a flashpoint, they're not going to deal with it. Right. Until they're allowed, given permission. Yeah. I think that's part of it because I think, you know, you, if you're still grieving what a month later, I mean, and I will be honest, like I do not, I still get triggered by, grief and things like that I don't want to live as oh I'm the grieving person it's more of like you know I'm part of this organ part of this organization called TAPS have you heard of them through the military yeah, yeah. yeah. life-changing 
Like I went to one of their events and it is like, they call it the happiest group of sad people you'll ever meet because they have conferences where you go and you're able to talk and connect and everything like that. But it's like, I can't even remember where I was going with this. But <laughs> like, Just um, what was your question? I was what 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 is it that gets you up every day to, to, and motivated okay. to be you? Yeah, I don't want people to be. Oh, but oh, I think you said that there are a lot of people who have unresolved grief. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and there are, and it's so interesting because I feel like just opening up the conversation and normalizing it and being like, you know what, this is completely natural. I mean, of course, I've gone to therapy, and my therapist is even like, you know, this is not in your head. This is a physical thing. Understanding the triggers. Um, knowing how to work with them. Like, you know, I hate to fly because again, very, very anxious, but it's like, okay, well, if I don't want to drive my husband crazy on a flight, I get to take Valium and it's okay. You know, <laughs> just yeah. understanding how to work with it, but also, you know, normalizing it more. Um, these little kids, like even I've met so many, my friends, a lot of my friends are widows and they have little kids and they'll be like, okay, what's going on with my kid? And I'm like, oh, well, they feel this way because they carry that anxiety. They almost carry that, like, I have to take care of my family. It, they're just a lot of different traits where these poor kids are carrying the weight of their world on their shoulders. Yeah. Um, they're embarrassed because they're like, well, my dad died. I don't, I don't remember him. You know, it's just, I think allowing that space in general, that grief is not a disease. It's, it's something that's real and something that stays with us that we're allowed to revisit when our heart needs to. So, so do you, have you gotten to a point where you dealing with this through therapeutic measures and, and, and everything that you do to heal yourself that you've hit kind of a plateau? It's not like you're ever going to get over it, but have you hit right. a place where you feel more comfortable and you can just kind of add to it or how does that work? Well, it's really interesting because, um, like I said earlier, all I wanted to be was a mom. And uh, it took me a while to find my husband and he's worth it. You know, definitely one of those, God has a plan. I'm going to, you know, he's worth every minute of the wait. But like here I had, you know, my house, my husband, I'm happy. I'm living in this cute little part of the country. And I was more anxious than I'd ever been. And so some of those things came back. And so it's just, I haven't hit a plateau but I've also learned that sometimes that's one thing about PTSD is things can come back and knock you off a little bit. Yeah. And so you just have to use those tools. Um, I went back to TAPS last summer because I was like, well, I feel like I've gone backwards. I went back to TAPS last summer and I talked to Bob Delaney. Do you know, he's the referee. Yeah. Yeah. He's an expert in, he calls it post-traumatic stress. He doesn't like the disorder part, but um, I talked to him and just a bunch of other people and it was just kind of like, this is totally normal. This is yeah. how you deal with it. And I think just the biggest it probably cut my anxiety in half yeah. so i think having a community and understanding that you're normal and you're fine and you don't need to worry about you know being the perfectionist you want to be <laughs> yeah yeah so. so let me ask you this of all the things that you've done and overcome and evolved into in your life what are you the proudest of facing my dad's death head on his facing my finding we not to give too much away in the book but it's it's crazy. I still look back and I'm like, I can't believe this is my life. Um, the book is one thing. And also, actually, the thing I'm the most proud of is that I did it, that I didn't give up until I had the answers that I knew I needed. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm being vague because <laughs> it's in the right. book, but yeah. um, it's 
you know, and that I did it. My tenacity, I'm the, I am the most proud that I was able to um, accomplish what I needed to to come to peace with my dad's death. And also, I have to leave it there. <laughs> That's good. That's fine. So let me ask you this. Everyone out there has a perception of you, family, friends, mm -hmm. all of the fans you have, everybody around you. But ultimately, you run the show. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Um, I think I am a girl that has wanted to have fun her whole life. Um, I'm somebody who wants everybody to be happy. Um, I'm somebody who will fight to bring like peace and happiness to those I love. Like I'll do whatever it takes, you know? So in a nutshell, I'm a very, I'm all about connection, um, with, across the board with our angels, with others. I'm, I'm, I, I want to, I'm the type of person who wants to people to be able to have love and connection and to be able to have access to that. Does that? Yeah. Yeah. So if anyone so. wants to get the book, reach out, learn more about you, anything about your world, where can they go? Um, angelinarlington.com. That's my website. We're still building it up. Um, I mean, it's there, but we're starting to kind of promote more. We're in the process of finding an agent, um, we're going traditional route. My co-author, Bridget Cook-Birch, um, there's a couple websites. You can look her stuff up. She's amazing. Um, I can tell you this part. She met my dad's killer, if that's anyway. So um, yourinspiredstory.com, but angelinarlington.com. The book's called Angel in Arlington. Angelinarlington.com is a great place, and there will be more things to, to take you there. I mean, it's... Do I want this book published now? Yeah, <laughs> but I'm yeah. also waiting for it to be published right. So, yeah. Excellent. So thank you so much for your story. Thank you for your time. It's fascinating. And, and when it's out there, hopefully everybody gets out there and gets a copy. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you so much, Joe. Thank Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, business, spirituality, music, and more from around the globe. Our esteemed theme music was composed and produced by the great E.E. E. Pointer of Kansas City's River Cow Orchestra. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. You can also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. <laughs> <laughs>